0: Amen. Well, we're going to continue on here with this area of salvation in church, and we kind of like picking it apart as we go through with it, because oftentimes people think they're saved just for church purpose. It's far beyond that. It's far beyond that. You are saved to serve a gracious Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ you are not saved for the purpose of running at the whims of pastors you're not saved to run after the whims of elders or deacons you're not saved and and, and i want to check this now <clears throat> you're not saved just to run after a church because you've been in that church or you've given so much money to this church or you did hopefully all those things you did you did with the leading and the prompting of the holy spirit when the word leaves this church, you leave it. <laughs> when the word is no longer taught, you get out. <laughs> okay. But as long as the word is the central thing at Aquin Alliance Fellowship, you always pray before you go. The Lord send, and the Lord take us away. Blessed be the name <laughs> of the Lord. You know? But, you need to understand something. God's called you for a much greater purpose. And he calls his disciples also for a much greater, greater purpose. And I don't see a little hope. Okay. I'll keep her going. There she is. Now, come on up here, Hope, real quick. Because, see, hope don't know the real purpose for which God has called her. And and hope doesn't even realize God is training her. And she's yet a young lady with much training to go through. And the process with all of us, she represents all of us. Because in all of us is this little child. And you know something? Superhero of the month, risk taker, Hope Evans. Because it says, a brief description of why they were selected. Hope is a great risk taker and a hard worker. Thank you for allowing me to use you as an illustration. Okay? And thank you for being that hard worker and a risk taker, okay? Because, see, that's what the apostles were. That's what the apostles were. That's what disciples were. They were risk takers because they started with Jesus not knowing where they were going to end up. They didn't know where they were going to end up. But they started with him. Now, you need to understand this. The disciples learned by simply hearing and seeing. They learned by hearing and seeing. People still yet learned by hearing and seeing. Guess what? They didn't have a textbook to carry around with them of the New Testament. They didn't have a computer that they could pick up real quick and hit it through things and go to a New Testament. They were in the process of learning. And we're going to talk about their process of learning how to live differently than what they had been accustomed of living. Because they had to learn how to live totally different than the way in which they were raised. Now, thing about the disciples and the apostles. There's not a whole lot written about them, per se. When you look in the story, not a lot because understand this. The disciples and the apostles are not the main theme of the Bible in the New Testament. Is Jesus Christ. But we do have enough to glean from. And we want to glean from it. And we need to understand boy, five, six of them or seven of them really is not much mentioned other than names. There's only like three or four that basically will stand out and so forth that are mentioned and anything really much shared about them. But the majority of them we have their names, but we don't have a lot about them per se. History tells us somehow where they went to and something that they did and some things that they wrote and so forth. Therefore we got the book of Thomas and so forth. The whole process we have different books that are not in the Bible per se, but the thing we can read them for historical purpose and so forth and we can learn from them. But these men here, what I really want to point out They were not educated men that Jesus chose. That doesn't mean that they were stupid. Doesn't mean that uh, they had no knowledge at all. But just think about it. They were not the Pharisees, the Sadducees. They did not sit on the Sanhedrin council. They were ordinary working men every day going to their job. That many of them had to give up. Now, they were going to learn from Jesus by hearing and basically by seeing. Remember what I shared with you about ministry last week? That ministry is not impact driven. That I want to impact my community. I want to impact a life in a person. That's not the real purpose. Yes, we want to make an impact. We want to be able to be influencers in people's lives. But our main thing that drives us in ministry is obedience to Christ. Obedience to Christ. That I am surrendered to Him and the leading of His Holy Spirit. That I'm being guided by Him. I'm being directed by Him. And there's this word that often we miss now in Christianity. The unction of the Holy Spirit that's prompting me to do. That there's something so much laid on my heart I cannot run away from it. But the Lord is directing. And this that area of being obedient to him. God has established the rule of engagement, and oftentimes we forget that, to, accom- to accomplish everything he wants to do. God is the one who says, I'm going to use man, I'm going to use humanity to bring about my will on earth. Now, wouldn't it be nice when God wanted to do something, he just sent his angels? How quick do you think our angels could build a new building? How quick do you think angels could gather up some funds and bring them in and meet our needs? How quickly? The only thing God has to say is, You're healed. See, miracles and angels are not the main way in which God has chosen. To perform his work. Yet we see those things take place. But they're not the main thing that God uses. The main thing that God uses is you and me. And that's how God set the rules of how he's going to play this game that he's going to use you and me to accomplish his will. And that's why it's so important that you and I come to a place of brokenness and we're willing to say, Lord, not my will, but your will, what? Be done. 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 And the rule requires that all things the Lord plans to do, that it be done through human beings and by human means. God... Chose not to use his angels to do it. Wouldn't it have been nice in Nehemiah's day when Nehemiah was going back to rebuild the wall and the temple that God just said, "Don't worry about it, Nehemiah. I'm going to send the angels to take care of that." It's just been done. Hey. But yet, when Peter's in chains in jail, Paul also angels show up and do what? Open the doors. <laughs> Take the chains off. Lead them out. The the, the process is that God picks his moments to work a miracle, use his angels, but God is using you 24-7 if you allow me. Because that's the way he has chosen to bring about his will here on earth and to see it performed. The impact God has planned for you does not occur when you are pursuing impact. When you just want to make an impact on somebody's life. You just want to make an impact on the community. If you're pursuing that, and a lot of people do that, And we see a lot of people do it in secular work. They make great impacts on the community. And God has nothing to do with it. God wants to use you to make impact in people's life that he might receive all the glory and all the praise. And that's one of the reasons why he has to take time and really teach his disciples. But the real impact takes place for the Christian when this takes place. When you are running after God himself and being obedient to him. That's when you'll have the impact. When you are running after God himself, determined to do God's will in your life. That's when the impact takes place. And that's when you'll be able to see some great things take place. Go with me to John chapter 6. St. John chapter 6. And you need to understand uh, we follow after the Lord for many different reasons. But we need to clarify why are we following the Lord? Why am I running after him? Uh, What is it that I really want of the Lord? So in verse 26 through 29, Jesus said, Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. You are looking for me, not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. You sat down at a buffet and boy, you ate. And you were satisfied. You wasn't really worried about me per se. What you really looked at is this, was that buffet I laid out before you. And you're not really concerned about me, but you are now concerned about, boy, eating again, your next meal. And he says, that's why you're running after me. That's why you're following after me. That's why you're seeking after me. A.B. Simpson had it right. Once I sought the blessing, now I seek the blesser. See, we don't run after God because of the blessings. We run after him because of who he is. For who he is. And he goes on there and he says, Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life. So you want to make sure, why are you running after Jesus? What's your main purpose in doing that? Are you really running after him? Or you're running after what he can do for you? Are you running after, boy, the things that, boy, Lord, go take care of that for me. Because you can maybe ask him some things and you get them. You're like the child at Christmas time. What's more important is what? The gifts. See, our grandchildren have already called us and let us know. Christmas isn't too far off. And they were reminding us. You know, it would be been nice. They just calling to talk to grandpa and grandma without the gift, but they were calling talking about the gifts. And we're like the children sometimes. Now, before you can teach... Before you can teach anyone, you have to find a person that wants to learn. Before you can teach anyone, you have to find the person that wants to change their life. See, a lot of people talk about they know the Lord, but don't know a thing about Scripture. Don't know a thing about the the Lord per se. But yet, they're saved. Yet, they love the Lord. But see, when you love somebody, you try to find out all you can what? Find out about them. You want to be involved in their life. And when you find that person who wants to know about Jesus and wants to be involved in the things of Jesus, now you've got someone you can teach. Now you've got someone who's willing to follow. Right? And, and the whole process is that they have to be willing. They have to desire it. And they have to want to be taught. And if they do, guess what? They accept the invitation that you put before them. They accept the invitation. When we would have 20 people in our home for Bible study, it would be because we've asked them, but they wanted to come and learn. They wanted to come and sit and be taught. They wanted to see something different. And they wanted to hear something that was different. Go to Matthew Because, see, this does take place because it's important that these individuals desire it. And it says, as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said. And I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. Now, I'm imagining that there's something else that also is taking place here. That in one way, Jesus is not a total stranger at this point to them. That they have had ears to hear about this Jesus. Uh, they've heard about some of the things that he may have done before they even met him. But the thing is, there was a desire to know more about him, that they were willing to leave and to go out and discover and see. Now, I want you to think with me for a moment. Why wouldn't Jesus go to the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and other religious groups of that day. Why wouldn't he go to them? These guys are already learned scholars. These guys are proficient in the Old Testament. These guys are already in the temple serving. Why not go after them? You know how hard it is To wipe away what a person thinks they already know? That's a challenge. And when you deal with a person that's all that, there's nothing you can really add to their life. Those who deem themselves better were too proud to become a disciple of Jesus. And what was Jesus known as? A carpenter. He was not known as a scholar. He was not known as someone with his Ph.D. or his doctor or his master's or B.S. or whatever. Or a T.H. I mean, he wasn't known. He was only known really as a carpenter. And we are scholars. We serve in the temple. We are teachers. Now I'm going to go learn from him. Pride sometimes will keep us from really learning. Because one principle we need to learn, we can learn from anybody and everybody. We need to learn that principle. A poor man may not be able to teach you how to be wealthy, but he can teach you how to live. Because there's a lot of wealthy people who cannot live the way he lives. And wouldn't know how to do it. And the thing about our society today, I think I still remember how to take the feathers off of a chicken and cut it up if I had to. (laughs) A lot of folks would starve today (laughs) if they had to do that. Elaine and I, we still enjoy going out there. Well, she did about 80% of it. I turn the ground and help her put the seeds in, but she go out and fertilize it and she do all this. Then we go out and harvest it together, but now we're getting too old for that garden. (laughs) But, But the thing is, we know how to grow some food if we need to. If you took away McDonald's, Burger King, and Denny's, and all these places today, what would folks do? what would folks do? You see, some of us grew up when there were not a lot of restaurants. And you had to do for yourself, in a sense. And the whole process is that he's a carpenter. He's unlearned. He's from Nazareth. And as Nathaniel said, what good thing come, Come out of there. And understand, in Galilee, there was no theological school. (laughs) So where did this man learn from if I'm going to follow him? See, there's a lot of things Jesus would have to unpack in the lives of some of those folks. Not that, boy, if they would have been willing that he would have rejected them. It was their pride that kept them from him. And guess what today? A lot of men's pride, a lot of people's pride, keep them from who? From Jesus today. And then, why not pick him? He's alive during the time of Jesus. That's the man who trained and taught Paul a lot of things. Why not really call upon him? This was a learned man. This was a philosopher. But Jesus chooses others. Then Nicodemus. Why not call on Nicodemus? Nicodemus why? That's the one who comes to you at night. See, see, Jesus don't want you coming to him undercover. Now come, yes. But why not in the open? Because you're worried about what your other Pharisee friends might be saying. And then when he had a chance to really speak up for Jesus, he said very little. Very little. Then how about Joseph? Why not him? Wealthy individual. The scripture tells us he was a secret believer. And today, we still have a lot of folks who are a secret believer because in their social realm, it would not be welcome to be really known as a Christian who is fanatic and really in love with Jesus. It's okay to be properly known as I'm religious or I'm a Christian, but I don't carry it too far. So when I come into these meetings or board meetings or when I come into my sororities or whatever, they don't have to worry about me talking about who. Yeah, because I'm more of a secret Christian than I am. An open Christian. Hey. And so Jesus didn't pick either one of them. The two believers, but were not asked to be among the twelve. And you have to explore the question, why? Boy, wouldn't we want some wealthy folks? I wouldn't mind having one or two millionaires sitting here in the church. You know? But that's not what God has given. Hey and the other thing is this here sometimes folks with money they think they buy their way through the church just because you give does not give you a privilege to dictate (laughs) you know and but the whole thing is they both I have no problem that they believed and they knew the Lord Jesus Christ the thing I begin to question is, Lord why did you overlook these two Why didn't you call one of them to be your apostle? Why didn't you call one of them to really walk closely with you? Now, understand something. Eleven out of the twelve men were from Galilee. Where was Jesus from? Galilee. The only one that was not from Galilee was Judas. He's from Judea but the other 11 are from Galilee. And Galilee is not known for any educational center. It was known to be really a fishing port. It was known because many of the roads down through its valleys is what led to Jerusalem. Galilee was known as a place of mixed population. Now just think about that, because we're going to talk about it some. Here are some Jews that live among a mixed, heathenistic population of all different cultural backgrounds in Galilee. And Jesus is going to have a hard task. And one of the tasks that he was going to have that was going to be difficult for him to teach them to love one another. To really teach them to love one another and to care for one another. Because even the Jews in Galilee didn't get along that well. And with all these other cultures also now, How do you love other people that are different than you are? And that was going to be a task for him to bring about. And Remember I told you last week when he first sent his disciples out he didn't send them out to the Gentiles he sent them out to his own to what he called the lost sheep of Israel wasn't them other folks lost too but he sends them out To those where he believed they will be more what? Acceptable. To those who would listen. Those who have an ear. For them now to, after they've learned so much, let's go out and test it. Let's go see if this stuff really works. And he sends them out. Now, Galilee was known also As a rebellious place. So when you go into Acts chapter 5, Gamaliel speaks of one who was raised up in Galilee who rebelled against the Roman Empire and he gathered up folks with him and they followed him. And when you check the records, almost all the trouble. That the Romans had with the Jews came out of Galilee. Because it was just a rebellious, rebellious, rebellious area. And even to the point why the Pharisees didn't like and said nothing good can come up out of Nazareth that was also in Galilee. is because the Jews there really didn't follow a lot of the Jewish laws and they were just seen as rebellious. Now, Jesus chose these men who were willing to learn, who were willing to follow him, who was willing to give up all. A lot of us accept Jesus for the security of salvation. We don't accept him with the ideal of him really being Lord over our life. We accept him in order to miss hell. But we want to remain the masters of our lives. And Jesus was going to have to teach them how to live differently. And that's why we're going to talk about dying to self because the disciples had to learn to do what? die to self in order to fulfill the will of their master, Jesus. And he chose these men. Men who were not devoted to their past. They were not devoted to their learning or their education per se. And and believe me, I'm high on education. But on the other end, we got a lot of educated fools today. And the process is simply this. God gave you a mind to learn and to explore. But then you bring all of that under his authority. If you see Paul as a very knowledgeable, learned, educated person, look at the fool who was acting up Before God got hold of him. And then look at the education process. uh, How it was used. After God got hold of him. You see something totally different. But God used all of Paul's education. And his philosophies. And the things that he learned. God wants his people to be educated. To be smart. To be intelligent. And to go forth. He wants you to be a learner. But learning does not become your God. Learning does become that thing that puffs up your head. But you're learning that he might use it for his glory. And he's not against you being wealthy. The issue is, do you understand As being wealthy, he's the steward of your funds. And he has a right to make a withdrawal anytime he desires. Lord, that's too much this week. Uh, May we all just do 20, Lord, not 70. Lord, uh, you gave me the job of managing this. Isn't that something when you go to your broker or you go to your financial person and they're going to tell you how much of your money you can take out? How much of your money you can use, you know. He kind of like forgets whose money it is, you know. And the whole process is that sometimes we forget the money and the possessions that we have; they're not ours. They're his, and that's why Paul calls us stewards of it. And I guarantee you this you're not taking a dime of it with you when you leave. Hey. He's not worried about titles. He's not worried about titles. He's just looking for a man or a woman who wants to be used by him. Period. Not titles. And sometimes we get caught up with titles. And we need to respect people with their titles and so forth because they've earned that. But understand this about the title. Your title will not get you into heaven. Okay. Now, the disciples learn by hearing and seeing. Go to First John with me. I want you to hear what John says here very clearly because John makes this statement. And it's something that we need to really hear ourselves in that chapter 1, verse 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard and which we have seen. Which we have heard and which we have seen. Two experiences. One of the reasons I asked you this morning, give me what God has done in your life. Why? You need to see that as God, what? Working where? In your life. You need to see God making a way for you. You need to see God opening up the doors. You need to see God calming the storms in your life. You need to see God working in your life. You need to see that. And then we need to be the hearers of the word. And when people hear your testimony and people hear the word of God, faith coming by what? By hearing. So we want to hear. But we just don't want to be people who hear. We want to see a living God in action. That's what's important. That we see the living God working in our lives. Working through our prayers. Working, doing. We want to see Him. Go to 1 Corinthians 15. Look what Paul says. And the whole process is that we want to see Him. We want to hear Him. We we want to recognize Him. So 3 through 8, Paul is saying this here. For what I receive, I pass on to you. As of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried... That he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures and that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than five hundred or more brethren at the same time. Now guess what? Paul wasn't around. And so when the Lord appeared to Peter and the other apostles, guess what? Paul was out persecuting what? But Paul heard. Paul heard. Paul heard. Keep going on with me. Verse 6. After that he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time most of whom are still living though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, and then to all the apostles. And least of all, he appeared to me. Not only did I hear, but I what? I saw. Not only did, should we hear, but we should see. We should see. Go to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. Because these two things are highly important. Now, let me explain this to you while I'm on this. Your experience never takes the place of Scripture. But yet your experience with God should be true for you. See, when when God told me at Chrysler to leave Chrysler, He was speaking to who? He wasn't speaking to everybody at Chrysler. He was speaking to me to leave Chrysler and go to school. He was speaking to me, not everybody at Chrysler. That's why I'm saying, your experience, you need to take it for you. But don't put that where? On everybody else. Don't force that on everybody else. Maybe the Lord tell you, you can only spend $50 a week while somebody else is spending $400 a week. Well, Lord, why didn't you tell them? Because, boy, God knows who can handle what. (laughs) And when you learn to handle your little, the scripture says, God will give you what? Much. So it's, it's that learning process. But God knows. And he says here to Theophilus when he's writing to him, he says, Many have undertaken to draw up an account on the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those from the first were eyewitnesses. So, Luke is getting his information from where? He's hearing. He's hearing. But he says, boy, well, the information comes from who? From my witnesses. People who had heard, and also what? Seen. And he says, boy, I'm writing these things. Therefore, since I myself have carefully investigated... What did he do? He looked into it. He studied it. Before he started giving somebody else advice about it, he what? Studied it for who? For himself. And once he was sold on it, now he's willing to what? Export it out to somebody else. Don't try to be a witness about Jesus if you yourself are not sold on Jesus. And he says, therefore, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, it seemed good also to me to write an orderly account for you. He's going to put this thing in order for this king, Theophilus, that he might follow him and understand Jesus. And then in reading and experiencing Luke. He's going to see a God at work. Go to Luke 10. Luke 10. And listen to what he says here. Because we get caught in this sometime. Starting in verse 23, he says, Where am I? Then he turned to his disciples And privately, blessed are the eyes that see what you see. When you see things of God and you see God working, you're blessed to see that. Because a lot of people call that luck. A lot of people just say, well, I was doing the right thing anyhow and it just happened. No. No. You need to understand when God is really blessing you. When God's giving you something. When God's moving in your life. When God's helping you, because He says He's an ever present helper. You need to understand that you don't take the attributes of God or what God is doing and deem it over to somebody else. But you can really say, Thank you, Lord. That's why the the scripture says, give thanks in all things. Why? God is always working. Even in the terrible tragedies, God is there. In your crisis, God is there. Sometimes ask yourself something. Who's holding you together? Who's keeping you with a sound mind? Who's ordering your steps? Who's giving you wisdom to speak? Who's giving you discernment? Who's guiding you through this crisis? Who's guiding you through this worst moment of life? Who's guiding you? And we say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And he he says, blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you, That many prophets and kings wanted to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear. Now, he could have left the hearing out, but the Holy Spirit's trying to tell us something. You see and you hear what you hear, but did not hear it. You're able to see and you're able to hear See, people sitting in church today don't think it's a blessing to be in church. People don't think it's a blessing to be in Bible study. People don't think it's a blessing to be around God's people. People don't think it's a blessing to be able to study God, see God, see God work. And God is saying here, it's a blessing if you really see it, and then you hear it. Or you hear it, and you see it. It's a blessing. And he he goes on, he says now, what we want to do is go back a little bit to the beginning of the seeing and the hearing process. Because, see, the disciples at this time, boy, they're called. But understand something. They have a narrow mind. They have a bunch of superstition. And because of the life that they've been living as Jewish individuals, they're very prejudiced. And they have a lot of misconceptions. And we need to understand that. That's people. When you deal with people, you're going to discover their prejudices. You're going to discover their superstition. You're going to discover all their misconceptions. You're going to discover what they really believe. And that's where you begin to deal with them gently to teach the word of God, to share the word of God. You can't rush into it. And it starts with, in a sense, John and Andrew at the baptism of Jesus. What would you have done if you were there and you heard John the Baptist, who you were one of the disciples, says, to an individual, look, behold, the Lamb of God. That takes away the sin of the world. Huh? We thought you were the man, John. We thought you were the one. you out here baptizing for repentance. We thought you were the great one. We, We thought you were really dealing with sin. And yet, John says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. If you were there and you were hearing that and John was pointing to somebody else, what what decision might you make? Bye, John. And you have to understand by John's statements, the statements that John makes, and we're going to go through some of them. John makes those statements that his disciples might follow Jesus. Now, let me share something with you. The sheep don't belong to a pastor and the pastor and the sheep don't own the pastor. We are both under the chief shepherd's guidance. If God really impressed on my heart to leave here next week, I would tell you it's time for me to go. If God really impressed upon your heart to go, then it's time for you to go because God has a work for you somewhere else. And we got people working everywhere. <laughs> Roger and Barb used to keep counting. They said, Pastor, you know, if everybody was stayed in this church, we would be over 500 people. But we got a young man who used to attend here. That's an assistant pastor down at the house of the Lord. We got people over at the chapel that are doing certain things. We got people out of Hope out there at the Chapel at Hope, out there in Stowe area, uh, Cahoga Falls up in that area, that are doing things. We got people down in Texas. We got people over in Georgia, Delaware area. We got people all over that somehow was influenced by this church. Debbie and I we were praying about her son. She had mentioning about her son this morning. Ronald's down, where we're at right now? Georgia, Florida? And looking maybe to go to Georgia or somewhere. But the young man, grew up in this church, basically. Hey. We don't know what God is going to lead you or develop. We had a young man that grew up in this church, and he came up to me. He said, Pastor Brown, you don't remember me, do you? No, I don't. Because last time I seen you, you were in your teenage years. He says, I'm Fran Doherty's son. Uh, He told me his mom died and I said, I know, I was at the nursing home. Uh, The the whole process, we don't know what God's going to do with you. No more than the apostles or the disciples knew what God was going to do in their life. But the thing they allowed him to do was to work in their life. And the thing that God is asking of you and I today, let me work in your life. He won't kick the door down. He won't force you to do a thing. But boy, if you really let him lead your life, you'll be surprised what takes place. Now, it starts with these individuals. And the whole issue is that in John, we already talked a little bit about, they heard him say, boy, boy, is the Lamb of God. That takes away the sins of the world. Now, run over with me for a moment. I want to go to John and verse 29. St. John 1 and verse 29. And uh, it's important to, to we're right there with that. He said, the next day John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, look, Look, now, I want you to take note of this. He's drawing the attention of his disciples to this one that is greater than he is. And John understood this principle. And every pastor needs to understand this principle. When it comes to Jesus, we must decrease. That he might what? Increase. That's a principle for every believer to understand. That in your life you need to decrease that he might increase. And John had no problem saying, look, there he is. This is the Lamb of God. Somebody would say, well your ministry might decrease. People might leave you. People that's alright. Because see, John didn't know he wasn't going to be on the scene long, but God removed him. (laughs) And he goes on, he said, who takes away the sins of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Catch what John is saying now. This Jesus, this one I'm pointing to, he was before me. Now, scripture teaches us which one's the oldest. John is. John is older than Jesus. And here is John saying, he is before me. He is before me. And he's greater than me. He surpasses me. And the men are hearing this. But not only are they hearing what John is saying, they're seeing the one whom John is talking about. And he goes on and he says, This is the one I meant when I said, A man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him. But the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed. You're hearing all of this. My purpose in life was to reveal him. My purpose in life was to reveal. I didn't know him. When we were kids, we may have played some basketball together they're cousins. And that's what Paul was talking about. When he talks about how he considered Jesus in the flesh prior. He only saw Jesus as a what? As a man, not as God. And here's John. He may have had some dinners with Jesus. It doesn't tell us that in scripture. The assumption is in my mind that, yes, because they were cousins, because Mary went over to also visit with Elizabeth. And what did John do when Mary had, He jumped in his womb. That they may have still had a little relationship. But he said, I didn't know he was this. I didn't know he was all that. I didn't know he was the Lamb of God. I didn't know he was the one who would take away the sins of the world. I didn't know that. Now I see it and I know it. Now I see it and now I know it. So when he gets into that whole area, he says, boy, I'm beginning to understand the little business now. In a sense. Now, Turn over with me to Matthew just to finish out here. Matthew chapter 3. I want you to really catch what the disciples, what the apostles were hearing and seeing. Because see, that still takes place today. If you only talk about the Bible as the letter of the law. Then you need to remember what scripture says. The letter of the law killeth, but the spirit gives what? Life. The letter of the law kills it smothers, but the spirit gives life. Hey. And, and you need to understand We all stand condemned. And we all need to recognize that. That we stand condemned. But God knew our position way before he ever sent Jesus to redeem us. So he knows what he's dealing with. Sinful man. He knows. So when you get in 311, he comes back and he says, I baptize you with water for repentance. But after me will come one who is more powerful than I. Now just take that for a moment. You hear that from your leader. There's somebody coming who's what? More powerful than I. John, I thought you were the man. John, I thought you had it all. I thought you were what God sent us And John says, there's one who's more powerful than I. And he points him out. They hear it, they see it. And he goes on and he says, But after me, I whose sandals I am not fit to carry. Again, where does John put himself? In light of Jesus. Yes. Yes. He's the servant. I'm not even fit to carry his sandals. And that's what we all got to come to. That we are the servants of Jesus. And then he goes on, he says, He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Now, there's an argument here that John brings up because, see, What Scripture tells us, John was filled with the Holy Spirit from when? From birth. But yet we know the Holy Spirit in its totality had not yet really come. But John was able to experience the Spirit of God. So when he speaks about Jesus will baptize you with the Holy Spirit, John himself has some experience with the Holy Spirit. And he says, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Guess what? John wasn't able to do that. You begin to catch some of the picture that John's painting of Jesus, that the men are hearing and able to see. They're able to hear, but they're also able to see. And John says, there he is. This is the one. This is the one. Very quickly, 13 and 14. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. Now, John had baptized hundreds of people, thousands of people. And John never said that to anybody else. And John says, no, I don't need to baptize you. You need to what? Baptize me you don't think that caught some attention? You don't think those that heard that are saying, well, John, who are you? and And they're seeing this one who John is elevating. And then he says, Jesus replied, 15, let it be so. Now that is proper. Let it be so. People, you want to hear and you want to see. Open your eyes. And if you're not seeing it, have somebody pray for you like Elijah prayed for his servant. Lord, open his eyes (laughs) that he might see. You want to see God in action in your life. You want to see God in action around you. You want to see God working. You do not serve a dead God, but a living God. And we have to grab hold of that. That he's alive. And he's doing. Amen? Father, we want to thank you and praise you that, Lord, we do have that ability to hear and to see. And, Lord, I pray that you would give us a greater ability to hear more and to see more, that our faith may grow. that, Lord, that we can discern when you're at work and we can see you working. And yes, Lord, there are times, Lord, we want you to hurry up. We want you to rush this thing through. We want you to do it quickly. But, Lord, may we also remember the work you start, you will also finish it. It may not move at our desired pace. But Lord, if you started it, you're going to finish it. And may we desire to be part of it. Forever that part that we are going to play, may we be willing to be part of it. And may you truly minister to us. And Lord... Faith does come by hearing. Help us to grow in our faith through the testimonies that we hear. Help us to grow in our faith as we sit under your word. Help us, Lord, not to just be hearers of your word, but, Lord, that we would participate in your word and we would be doers of your word. Help us, Lord.